This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Hello, friends. Welcome to the broadcast. Good to have you aboard. Hope you'll be with me for the duration. Just a heads up coming up at, uh, well, at the bottom of the hour, as we say in uh, radio business. A uh, good friend of the program, John Rappaport, No More Fake News, will be here to talk about the secret Monsanto Protection Act. Have you heard about this? My word. Talk about doing the soft shoe towards a totalitarian state. Uh, if you haven't heard about it, uh, John Rappaport, longtime investigative journalist, will be here to, to talk about this act, which was quietly passed by Congress a couple of weeks ago and then signed into law by President Obama after being slipped into an, uh, an agricultural appropriation bill. And the provision protects genetically modified seeds from litigation in the face of health risks. Wow. Uh, unbelievable. They would try to slip that past everybody and uh, obviously... Most of the people uh, who voted probably didn't know about it or didn't read it, or if they did, shame on them for passing it. Anyway, John Rappaport at the bottom of the hour. A uh, small confession to make. I just took possession of an iPhone 5. Uh, now, you're talking about now. Tim in the other room is uh, ra- giving me the big thumbs up because he's a big you know, gadget guy. I am a techno-peasant. Uh, up until about six months ago, I, was, you know, I had the soup cans and the string. Not that bad. I had a flip phone. Finally capitulated. And, of course, my six-year-old twin boys um, uh, driving them to and for school say, Dad, pass the phone back. And, you know, they're showing me all the different applications. <laughs> There's six. Uh, and then someone pointed out, it might have been the mighty Aphrodite. She goes, do you know that this is the, the Illuminati phone? I, I said, what? What are you talking about? And she said, think about it. The iPhone, the eye, the all-seeing eye, you know, the eye that sits on top of the pyramid on the, on the dollar bill. And then there's this great function on there. It's called Siri. And you know about this, Tim, right? It's voice command. You can say, Siri, show me last night's hockey scores. Voice command. And then the scores come up. It searches the web. She's got a very lovely, captivating, charming voice. And, uh, and then uh, the mighty Aphrodite pointed out, Siri, what is it spelled backwards, Tim? Iris. Iris the eye. It's the Illuminati phone. I don't think this is appropriate for the host of the conspiracy show to have the Illuminati phone. But I got to tell you, it can track my location. No doubt. No doubt. Well, we've done programs on that. Anyway, i got to say, it's amazing technology. Uh, it, this is the second-to-last show before we bug out here from the friendly confines of 550 Queen Street East here in Toronto. 
uh, the, the home of our flagship station, AM740, heading down the road, uh, Lakeshore, towards the Canadian National Exhibition Grounds just north of there, a great new, new facility. I'm very excited to go, but I'm going to miss this place. It's haunted. You know that, Tim. Have you had experiences here? The venerable George Janescu, whose show precedes mine on this, program, on this radio station, has been visited by spirits. I have no doubt. I've experienced some strange things over by the elevators. I won't go into that now, but I'm kind of secretly hoping the new place has ghosts. No doubt it has uh, uh, some stories to tell. It's a beautiful old building uh, that they're renovating. Anyway, there's far more um, you know, scarier things out there. Just read the headlines. Just read the headlines. My word. Wars and rumors of wars and saber-rattling and superstorms and currency wars and so forth. We're going to get into that right now. Uh, this gentleman, I've, um, I'm very excited to have him aboard. It's, uh, I've, I've been following his work for some time. And uh, I happen to, uh, to read. Yeah, I don't get my news from the New York Times. I, I go to places like King World News, and he's a contributor there. Gerald Salente is founder and director of the Trends Research Institute. He's a trends expert, a true visionary, keynote speaker, trusted worldwide as the foremost authority on forecasting, analyzing, and tracking trends. Gerald is publisher of the Trends Journal and author of Trends 2000 and Trend Tracking. Gerald Salente, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Oh, very good. Thanks for having me on. Wow. Trade wars, currency wars, and world wars. You've been writing about this. I know this was the subject of uh, your uh, most recent uh, uh, journal. And uh, I, I want to talk about, uh, first of all, these currency wars. Can you explain what's going on? It sounds like all of these countries are trying to race to the bottom in terms of destroying their own currencies. We see the, the yen in Japan, they're printing a lot of money. Of course, in the United States, eighty-five trillion or eighty-five billion a month they're printing. What's going on with this, Gerald? Well, again, they're they're devaluing their currencies so that they they can export more product. And when you use the term currency war, you know it's not my term. It's what Guido Montega, the finance minister of Brazil, calls it. It's what Mervyn King, the head of the Bank of England, calls it. It's what Axel Verber, the head of UBS and former president of Deutsche Bank, calls it. And it's what the new prime minister of Japan not only calls it, Abe, but he's also done it. I mean, you just saw last week they announced that they're going to dump in. Uh, Japan is about $1.4 trillion worth of stimulus. And, the, and again, as we, you mentioned, the currency wars, trade wars, when you, it, history is repeating itself. You go back to the crash of 1929. It was followed by the Great Depression. Currency wars, trade wars, world war. In 1931, Japan took itself off the gold standard and devalued its currency 60% against the dollar and 40% against the pound sterling. It was a trade war. The United States and their allies at the time you know, made it virtually impossible for Japan to get any natural resources. It's kind of sound like you know, what's going on today when you see all these other scrimmages going on. And then you look at the parallel. We had the Panic of 08. There's a Great Depression going on. There's a depression going on in the United States. 
when you look at John Williams' shadow stats, you're looking at real unemployment in the states around 22%. Yeah, that's the U6, and, and, and all that's reported by the mainstream media is the U3, which is, uh, you know, the the official unemployment numbers, which is around 7.5, 7.7%. But as you say, it's, it's, it's double that at least. And then when you look at the numbers that just came out on Friday, you know, they, they were expecting to create 190,000 jobs. You need to create 150,000 jobs each month just to stay even. That's accounting for population growth. That doesn't account for all the people that have dropped out of the workforce and lost their jobs during the, the Great Depression. And then you, you look at the numbers. Uh, half a million people dropped out of the workforce last year, a half a, uh, last month. A half a million people. And then you look at the jobs that are being created. I got a job for you. How would you like to wait on tables? Mm. I got a better one. How about stocking shelves at Walmart? How about becoming a home health aide? You know, a, a dear job and very well needed, but paying under the minimum wage. So when you look at the jobs being created, we're in a depression. That was just the United States. How about what's going on in Europe? How about Spain? How about Greece? How about Portugal and Ireland? Hey, remember Cyprus? Mm. I mean, you look around the world, Slovenia, Hungary, there's a depression. So the parallels are there. And now, of course, I mentioned the currency wars. And now we're going toward trade wars and world war. When all else fails, the psychopaths take you to war. Well, let's talk about Cyprus because you just mentioned it. Let me also point out Gerald Salenti, uh, a founder and director of the Trends Research Institute, publisher of the Trends Journal and author of Trends 2000 and Trend Tracking here on The Conspiracy Show. Uh, after Cyprus, and, and, and as you pointed out and, and, uh, and others, uh, Jim Sinclair uh, talked about how this was out-and-out out theft. Uh, you know, the banks used to have a fiduciary responsibility to protect the, the uh, depositors' money, and then they just decided that they're no longer depositors, they're lenders, so they were able then to steal those deposits uh, up to 90%, some, some up to 100%, over 100000 And then the mainstream media said, well, that's all, you know, that's a distant memory now. I remember, like, three, four days later, the, all the, the forecasters or the financial reporters here in Toronto were saying, well, that's a distant memory but it's not. I mean, what, what, what's going on? What's the latest with, with Cyprus? Are we seeing runs on banks in Europe that we're not hearing about? Probably, of course. I mean, again, you know, what, what do they call it when they steal your money? I got a nice word for you. Haircut. Isn't that sweet? Yes. Haircut. And you can't, you know, you're relating to the media. I mean, these are the prostitutes. These aren't, these aren't, these are disgusting individuals. You know, they don't have any backbone. They suck their way up to where they are. Look at the revolving door. This guy Carney, who's the mouthpiece for for, uh, for Obama. You know, where did he come from? Time magazine. You look at him in and out, whether it's in finance, whether it's in agriculture, and whether it's in the press. It's a revolving door. You know, people are complaining about the failure of capitalism. This is not a failure of capitalism. It's corruptionism. And it's also fascism. The merger of state and corporate powers. Is, is part of it with the, with the mainstream media, Gerald, is uh, that they, they realize that it is as bad as you've just outlined. In, unemployment figures in Europe now worse than the Depression, I'm told. Uh, that they, they just, they want to keep a lid on this as long as possible. They don't want to, they want to delay the, the inevitable, which is going to result in widespread panic. No, it's a prostitutes. I mean, these aren't, these aren't journalists. I mean, turn on the media 
I mean, my God, all we talk about in the States is gun control and immigration and gay rights. People aren't talking about these issues. Every day you turn it on, it's the same baloney. But people so have... it, it, it's not, you know, it, it, it's not a, to me, you know, only speaking for myself, and the motto of the Trends Journal, by the way, is think for yourself. You know, we don't tell anybody what to believe or what to think. I mean, it's just the way we see it. And I've been around. I mean, I've been on virtually every show from Oprah, the Today Show, Good Morning America. I mean, you know, on and on and on. I mean, these, you know, these aren't the brightest pencils in the pack. People want to know. They're, they're, they're frightened. They've seen what's happened in Cyprus. They want to know here in North America, here in Canada, supposedly we have one of the most stable banking systems in the world, yet someone recently uncovered, buried in the federal government's uh, um, economic action plan, as they call it up here in Canada. They plan on an in-bail or a bail-in in case one of our banks fail as well. You know, the... the um we're going to be writing a lot about this in the Trends Journal. Uh, one of the contributors to the Trends Journal is Dr. Paul Craig Roberts. Mm, yes. And he's the former assistant treasury secretary under Reagan. I'm a political atheist, by the way. I don't believe in any of this stuff, you know, political parties. <laughs> I can't believe adults still believe in these things. But <laughs> I call me. it professional wrestling, except res- <laughs> wrestling, is, I think, has a greater degree of uh, yeah, credibility. Really. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, the D.C. drama queens and the Beltway Circle jerks, you know. But anyway, um, here's the reality. They've already done it before. Go back to 1933. That's not ancient history. They call the bank holiday in America. And what they did was Franklin Roosevelt called the Federal Emergency Banking Act. They forced everybody to turn in their gold. All your bullion, certificates, coins, you turn it in and you go to jail. And if we catch you with any of it, you get fined three times the amount of what you were holding. This is a fact. I'm not making this up. So what happened back then? You had to sell it to the, to the mafia. That's all this is. It's a mafia. You had to sell it to the mafia. It's the money mafia and the, the, the money changer mafia and the military-industrial complex mafia. Gerald, i got to take a time out here. We'll come back. The government versus the mafia. Some are saying, what's the difference? Gerald Salenti here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. If you read the headlines, you listen to the news, you, I suppose you could be forgiven for thinking that we are in the midst of a recovery. Not a robust recovery, but a recovery. But not so. Uh, the, uh, the, the statistics do not tell the whole picture. The, uh, the unemployment rate in the United States probably closer to 20%. Uh, when you consider the people that have given up looking for work. Look at what's going on in Europe. Greater unemployment now there than during the Great Depression. Uh, do you really believe inflation is running somewhere between 1.7 and 2%? Not a chance. You go to the grocery store, you fill up at the gas tank, you know it's got to be at least five times that. Gerald Salente is with us, founder and director of the Trends Research Institute and the publisher of the Trends Journal. Uh, Gerald, you were talking about a, a banking holiday. Are we about to see another one in, some, in the United States or Canada? Is that well, inevitable? Again, you know, what I was saying was that when they turned in all the gold at $20.65 an ounce to the mafia, they repegged the dollar in those days was pegged to gold. They repegged it to $35 an ounce. So they just screwed you for 70%. Right. And they've right. done it before. Go back. Anybody could do this. Google it up. Put in Joe Biden, John Corzine, you know, John the Slime Corzine, the former guy from MF Global, 
that robbed money from my segregated account. Yes. And go to 2009. John Corzine, Biden, he's campaigning. Biden's campaigning for, for Corzine. He was running again for governor of New Jersey. And you'll hear Biden say it. He said the first thing the Obama transition team considered was a bank holiday. He goes, that's right, a bank holiday. He repeats it twice. This whole thing is collapsing. The only thing that's keeping it afloat is dumping all of this cheap money in. So as we talk about inflation, you might not see it in the terms that the value of a product is going, the cost of a product is going up, rather than what your dollar buys is less. So, for example, if you live in Zimbabwe, the price of coffee is the same, but it just takes more Zimbabwean dollars. And that's what they're doing to the United States. They're doing it to China, to, oh, China too, by the way. China's dumping trillions of yuan into pumping up their economy. And you look at the trade numbers coming out. You look at every indice, and they're down. The only way they're keeping this going is by pumping money into the system. This is unprecedented. This has never been done before. And they're, and they're going at it at levels, again, $1.4 trillion from Japan. Oh, by the way, more radioactive waste is uh, seeping out of Fukushima. You know, I mean, you know, the, the whole thing is coming down. And again, what I believe they're going to do is take us to war. Do you, do you think we'll look back, and, and uh, I'm not sure if it was you or, or Jim Sinclair who brought this up, that, that we will we'll look back on what happened uh, in Cyprus with the confiscation of depositors' money, and we'll look back at that the same way those looking back at World War I looked at the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand as sort of the, the, uh, the event, the, 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 the straw that broke the camel's back. Absolutely. Uh, you know, he, he said it like that. I said it's the canary in, in, the, in the mine shaft. You know, that's what it is. I mean, showed that it was a test case, and that's all. And, and, of course, all of the sheeple out there, oh, those Russian oligarchs, good, they got them. They were money laundering, and it was dirty money. You know, that was the reaction. You know, the people, that's how, that's what I'm, I'm saying, that's how easy it is to convince the people. Look, the United States started a false war against Iraq based on the lies that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction and ties to al-Qaeda. You see anybody going up for war crime charges? You see how people had yellow ribbons and flags flying everywhere. You got this U.S. general today. He says the Taliban is still a threat to the United States. I'm saying a threat? They sold the lie of going into Afghanistan was to get Osama bin Laden. Taliban's never been a threat. How about your murderous and illegal, immoral op- occupation? Oh, just, hey, just killed 10 kids by mistake today. Can you see what's going on here? This whole thing is out of control. And when I say go to war, you have to really understand when, when you look at the cycle. We had, the pan- we, we had a crash. The dot-com bubble burst in March of 2000. 9-11, several months later. Got everybody's mind off. The United States was in recession. They lowered interest rates to 40-year lows. You remember George Bush going out there, hey, go buy a car. You'll pump up the economy. They created the housing bubble. 
and they're doing and it again. They're doing that, they're taking the nation to war. First Afghanistan, then Iraq. It's so simple, and the people follow. So where is it going to be this time? Syria? I don't know. Well, definitely, you know, Syria's going to continue, and my God, the tragedy that's occurring over there, or whether it's Iran. And you can see the axis, by the way, uh, being formed. The first place that Xi, the new uh, uh, president of China, went was a meeting with Putin. So you could see it. You could see Putin, uh, uh, Russia, China, and Iran against the United States, NATO, and the Arab Little League. Okay, it's, it's being formed. And, you know, China just became the world's largest importer of oil. I mean, they're not going anywhere. Now, just, just to diverge slightly here, but China now is selling uh, goods with Russia back and forth in their own currencies. Does that mean that the United States dollar has unofficially lost its reserve currency status? Not yet. And you see, that's the key. When it does... That's when the big crash happens. When the United States loses its reserve currency status, that's it. And by the way, I'm a believer that gold prices are being manipulated. Because of all this debasement of the currency, gold prices should be going through the roof. Yes. You know, I've been trading gold, by the way. And when it comes to gold, I mean, Jim, Jim Sinclair is the guy. And, but I've been trading gold since 1978. And my first buy of gold was 187.15 ounce. You can go to our webpage, trendsjournal.com, and there it is in black and white. We call the bottom of the gold market at 275, and said it was the beginning of the new gold bull run. You know, back in I think it was 2001, 2002. You know, so gold prices should be skyrocketing. How do they so, manipulate it? How is well, the gold very banks? Simple. They short it. It is not, it, they just short it. Explain what that means. Well, it means that they'll put a lot of sell orders into the, into the, into like the COMEX and the other markets where it's traded, and you could do that. That drives down the price. You get tons of sell orders, and and that drives down the price. The gold market is very thinly traded, and you're looking at governments that you mentioned the stimulus. They're rigging the bond market. I mean, they're doing it in front of everybody's eyes. They're rigging the bond market, all right? It's, not, it's a fact. I'm not making it up. Now you look at, hey, remember this one, Richard? How about LIBOR? Mm, yeah. We saw it right in front of us. They're rigging what? Like $700 trillion worth of interest rates? It's a fact. It's not a theory. And they're rigging the gold market. Is it? Because if people start bailing, going into gold right. and bailing out of their worthless currencies, you're going to see a calamity like you've never seen before. Yeah, fiat money hates gold because that's an indication that people no longer have faith in, 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 uh, in, in fiat money. In, in, and why uh, would any intelligent person have any when you could see what they're doing in front of your eyes? How, when is this going to start to unravel in a serious way, Gerald? When is this Ponzi it, scheme? It's hard to tell mm. because there's so many dirty deals behind the scenes. I mentioned about LIBOR. Who knew about that? Who knew that the Federal Reserve was dumping, you know, $27 trillion into the system throughout the world? You don't know this is going on. You don't know they're going to make up something over in the ECB and call it, I got a good name for you. We'll call it QE ones and twos and threes in the U.S. We'll call it OMT. You like that? Ongoing monetary transactions. So you don't know what they're going to do. 
So the timing is very difficult to figure out. The thing should have crashed a long time ago. It should have crashed after the panic of 08. Can't they, what's to say they can't keep it going inevitably? Because there becomes a point where the devaluation becomes so apparent. And, you know, like, for example, what's going on now in, in Japan, they're, they're devaluing the yen dramatically. And what does that mean? It means that the imports coming into Japan, which is a heavy reliant country on imports, the price of everything is going to be going up because your yen is buying less. Right. It's great for exports and bad for imports. Exactly. Hmm. The stock market, Gerald, very quickly, we're almost out of time, but people, uh, uh, up until last week when it dipped a little bit, people think, you know, are very bullish again on the stock market. Is this a sucker's rally? Well, again, you know, I don't do stock markets, but here, again, the game is rigged. How about, you know, hyper-trading, high-frequency trading? Or how about all the scandals of insider trading? You know, why would I need it's, it's a gamble. You know, I only invest in, I don't give financial advice. I only invest in gold and, and for the purpose of, for me, it's my golden age, golden years. And I don't, I don't trade it. I don't, you know, play the markets. You know, I just buy it and, and store it. You know, so for me, that's, that's, and I'm also buying historic buildings where I am in Colonial Kingston, New York, two hours north of New York City. Uh, but, but other than that, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't go to Las Vegas, you know. Gerald, can you leave with us a little bit of good news? Yeah, the future's in the hands of the people. You know, they, these are vampires out there. When are the people going to rise up and say, I've had enough? And I think what you saw in Italy with the five-star movement, Beppe Grillo, at another level, that can be the way. Not protests, but movements. We need new systems. These are not representative form of governments. So when the people rise to the higher level, then everything changes. It's called a renaissance. Hey, they did it after the Black Death. We could certainly do it now at the death of politics that's raping everybody as we're doing it now. So really, it's the hands of the people. But for, to and get from here to there, it's going to. But to get from here to there, when it, whatever's on that the other side, it, it's going to be a bumpy road. I'm guessing. Well, it's not, is life easy? No. But no. It, for me, I'm a believer in direct democracy. They do it in Switzerland. Every issue of major importance, the people vote. Like if I ask you who the president of Switzerland is, you're not going to know because it doesn't count. The people vote. These aren't representative form of government. That's only for little boys and girls. The only people they represent are the most powerful and the people that give them bribes and payoffs, which these slimers call campaign contributions. Gerald, on that happy note, uh, how can people get... Uh, um their Trends Journal copy. TrendsJournal.com, TrendsJournal.com. And Richard, we make it available to everyone. There's a discount request page there. We know people are going through difficult times. It's history before it happens. And I could say with all certainty that what you read in the Trends Journal, you will not read anywhere else in the world. Gerald, a great pleasure. I hope you'll join me again. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Richard. Gerald Salente, founder and director of the Trends Research Institute, uh, trends expert and publisher of the Trends Journal and author of Trends 2000 and Trend uh, Tracking. And as I say, when we come back, uh, we, we heard George Carlin coming in out of the break there on one of his rants. Uh, boy, oh boy, would it, would, wouldn't it be great to have George Carlin around these days? He would have a field day with what's going on. Uh, but he was talking about lobbying and lobbyists running Washington. Well, wait till you hear what John Rappaport has to say coming up in a few moments about 
the secret Monsanto Protection Act. We've talked about Monsanto on the program before. These are the people that make the genetically modified seeds, genetically modified organisms. And what just passed recently in Congress in the United States and was signed into law by President Obama was this Secret Protection Act. It was slipped into an agricultural appropriate bill or appropriations bill. And the act gen, uh, protects companies like Monsanto. And I would, I would imagine Dow Chemical as well. They're, in, they're involved in genetically modified seeds. But it protects these companies from litigation in the face of health risks. So let's say a few years down the road, and there have been some studies, animal studies, that, that, that shows that uh, genetically modified corn or whatever it is causes cancer. That means we can't go back and sue Monsanto and Dow. Just watching a TV tonight with the mighty Aphrodite before I left, and uh, Aaron Brockovich was on, on TV. Do you remember what, that with, uh, with Julia Roberts down in uh, this town in Hinckley, uh, Nevada, and the people were poisoned by a chemical plant down there. They launched this massive class action suit. Tons of people, hundreds of people rather, hundreds of people had horrible diseases, cancers and, and, uh, and things like that. And they eventually received $333 million in a settlement, a class action settlement. Well, because of the secret Monsanto Protection Act, if, as many people suspect, genetically modified seeds causes injury, harm, disease, We'll never be able to sue these companies. John Rappaport will tell us more when we come back on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Welcome back. I think we're all um, aware that companies like Monsanto uh, and the U.S. farm biotech industry wield considerable power, legendary power. There's this revolving door which allows corporate chiefs to switch top posts in the Food and Drug Administration and, and other agencies. U.S. embassies around the world push genetically modified technology onto countries even if they don't want them. And government subsidies back corporate research. Federal regulators do largely as the industry wants. The companies pay millions of dollars a year to lobby politicians. Conservative think tanks combat any political opposition. And the courts enforce corporate patents on seeds. And the consumer is denied labels or information. But now, even people uh, used to this closeness... Uh, between the U.S. administration and food giants like Monsanto have been shocked by the latest demonstration of the genetically modified industry's political muscle. It was uh, little noticed, uh, but a couple of weeks ago, President Barack Obama signed off on what has become widely known as the Monsanto Protection Act. Technically, it's known as the Farmer Assurance Provision Rider in H.R. 933, Consolidated and Further Continuing Appropriations Act 2013. It sounds rather benign and uh, a lot of legal mumbo-jumbo, but uh, here to tell us that it's not and why we should be very concerned is a good friend of the program, John Rappaport, who's worked as a freelance investigative reporter for over 30 years. He's written articles on politics, health, media, culture, and art for LA Weekly, Spin Magazine, Stern, Village Voice, Nexus, CBS, Health Watch, and other newspapers and magazines in Europe and in the United States. And in 1982, the LA Weekly submitted his name for a Pulitzer Prize for his interview with the president of El Salvador University, where the military had taken over the campus. Always a pleasure to have John Rappaport here on The Conspiracy Show. Hi, hi John. How are you? Great. Great to be here, Richard. Thanks. 
Monsanto. Uh, well, let's just get right into it because we don't have a lot of time. What is this? Mon- what is this? This act all about? This this law? This Monsanto protection law? Well, basically, what it says is that even if a court in the United States finds a serious problem with a genetically modified food crop, you know, the, there were no safety studies done or the safety studies were inadequate or it looks like the crop could be dangerous, that doesn't matter. <laughs> Monsanto can sell the seeds, farmers can plant the crops, they can be harvested, and they can be sold in the U.S. And as astonishing as that sounds, that's exactly what was passed as the writer in the bill you just mentioned. And essentially what it does is it cuts away at the heart of the system of checks and balances in the federal government because now you have the judiciary being completely castrated. They can say, well, we, a judge can say, wait a minute, I want to put a stop order on this crop because uh, I could see there's enough evidence here that it could be dangerous. Safety hasn't been proved. You can't do it. So they're Absolutely above the law. Monsanto it. is now technically uh, uh, an entity unto itself. They are above the courts. They're above the courts. They are absolutely above the courts. And that's precisely what happened. And uh, when it was discovered, it produced an uproar, and uh, that uproar is still going on in some quarters. But you have heard absolutely zero from the White House on this. Obama signed the the bill along with the writer at midnight one night recently. That's always the way. Very little press coverage, major media press coverage. I mean, they just ignored the whole thing, basically. It was all independent journalists, activist groups, and so on, that made a huge uh, stink about it. And yet, reporters for major media are not following up, which tells you whose pocket they're in, because they could start a real, uh, you know, tsunami of protest about this whole thing if they really began to cover it, but they're not doing anything about it. And so they tried to, you know, this is this uh, uh, farmer assurance provision rider. I'm guessing is one of these huge what we call omnibus bills, where there are so many um, different things uh, added in at the last moment. And so the idea is that you know there's whatever the main thrust of the bill is. If you agree with that, you don't want to vote it down because of all these little pork barrel politics things that find their way into it. So is that what happened? Someone someone snuck that in there, and most people didn't read it or they didn't want to vote the, you know, the, 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 uh, the principle behind the, the, the bill down. So they had, to, they had to go along with it. Yeah, that's pretty much what happened. You see, this is a bill that would fund the government. It's called a continuation of funding for government, federal government, because, you know, the government periodically claims, well, if we can't get the budget passed in time or if Congress won't give us the money we need, uh, you know, we'll have to shut down part of the government. They're now calling it sequestration. Uh, services will be denied. So we have to vote on this bill. Okay. Nobody reads these things. All right, let's take a time out. John Rappaport here uh, talking about the secret Monsanto Protection Act, which essentially puts these genetically modified companies, these 
producers of genetically modified seeds and organisms above the law, as hard as that is to believe. To me, that's the definition of corporate fascism, alive and well. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. John Rappaport is uh, here, and in a few moments, he'll tell us about his new CD-ROM series called Exit the Matrix, which comes on the heels of his previous release, The Matrix Revealed. It's it's an amazing uh, collection, all in one CD-ROM, and uh, he'll tell us about that in a moment. But back to this Monsanto Protection uh, Act, which is now the law of the land, signed by President Obama, as uh, John said, uh, at uh, at midnight, uh, you know, to avoid any media scrutiny. And uh, just to give people a sense of how uh, dominant Monsanto is in the genetically modified seed business, uh, they make up their company, their seeds rather, make up something like 93% of U.S. soybeans, 88% of cotton, 86% of of maize or corn. Um, But give me a sense of of the influence that Monsanto has in Washington. I mean, obviously, the passage of this bill is is testimony to that. But, I mean, how are they influencing these politicians? Well, first of all, you have to realize that uh, activists who are against, properly against GMO food, thought that they had an ally in Obama during the 2008 campaign. He flashed several signals. Uh, that really gave everybody hope, and then he turned around and just absolutely pulled a bait and switch and smashed all hope when he appointed, oh, eight or nine key figures at the Food and Drug Administration and the U.S. Department of Agriculture, which are the agencies that oversee all of this. And during his first term, a record number of new GMO crops came into being planted, harvested, sold in America. So Obama really cemented his position as Monsanto's number one lobbyist in America. No question about it. Absolutely none. And I've written an article on that. People can Google it and find it. Meet uh, Monsanto's number one lobbyist, Barack Obama, that details all the names of the people he appointed and the crops, and etc. So the influence goes right to the top, all the way. It's so blatant. I mean, uh, my understanding is that the, the, the person who, I guess, sponsored this aspect of this appropriations bill, Roy Blunt, uh, who was Monsanto's chief recipient of political funds. He's a Missouri Republican senator. He's the one that put it in there. I mean, is, are people not scrub? are his constituents not screaming bloody murder? Well, they're not, I don't think, because uh, there's not a tremendous amount of opposition in Missouri uh, to Monsanto because Monsanto is headquartered in St. Louis, which is in Missouri. They provide a lot of jobs. Uh, There's a port there. A huge amount of tonnage goes out from that port of uh, materials shipped by Monsanto all over the world. So there's going to be no screaming there whatsoever. I mean, I don't care if you w- which you know side of the fence you're on in terms of the safety or the efficacy of genetically modified uh, seeds or genetic- genetically modified foods in general. This is just plain wrong to place any corporation, I don't care who it is, above the law. That's just that goes against everything that supposedly you know a, a, a free a people hold sacred. That's what's happened, Richard. You know, it's precisely what's happened. And look at the silence of the major media about this. You know, there have been a few articles written uh, very soberly, uh, 
uh, the, he says this, she says that, etc., etc. But no outcry, no outrage in the media, or even in big think tanks, academic institutions, where presumably some shred of knowledge about constitutional law is still, uh, you know, present. Uh, so what you can conclude from that is that the government corporate nexus in America is firmly, firmly in charge. Well, yeah, this has set a, a, a precedent. Now, my understanding is that this bill will will expire in September because it's an appropriations bill. But again, the precedent's been set. So, I mean, who's next? What 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 other company is going to line up and 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 receive this kind of nepotism the next time the government secretly passes one of these bills? Exactly, and not only that, but when this bill expires this Monsanto protection rider that we're talking about here could be renewed as part of some other bill or separately, however, because, as you say, the precedent has already been set. So legislatures will, legislatures will say, well, we passed this once already. I mean, come on. So there's no problem then. Let's pass it again. Only this time it won't expire at all. And let's look at other companies that need special protection and so on and so forth from the Congress, from the legislature, from the president. You see, in this issue, there's nobody really on the other side in the federal government. It's not Republicans squabbling with Democrats. It's the White House. It's the uh, Democrat. It's the Republican-dominated House of Representatives. It's the Republican Senate. They're all on the same page. Which now, means we're talking about issues here which are considered to be higher in priority than the scope of government itself or the Constitution. Now, there have been some animal studies. There may be some human studies I'm not aware of, but there have been some animal studies. I believe they were feeding rats a genetically modified corn, and these rats developed tumors. Let's say in 15 years... Genetically modified organisms, it turns out to be like the tobacco industry, where they were for, for 50 years. It was deny, 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 and then finally they could deny no longer. Uh, what happens then if we have you know, an epidemic of, 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 of cancer, that, that, and there is a causal link to genetically modified food, and, we, and, and people want to you know, launch a, a class action lawsuit? What, what happens? Well, I'll make my prediction. It won't happen. And the reason that it won't happen is, unlike tobacco, which is one industry, albeit a giant industry, uh, inside of big agriculture, we're now talking about virtually all agriculture in the United States and in other countries. And I'll tell you something else. If you look at what's happening in Argentina now, and this has been well documented, this is exactly what we're seeing or they're seeing in Argentina right now with Monsanto GM soy. They're seeing deformed babies. They're seeing all kinds of nerve system damage and illnesses that doctors there are testifying on the record they've never seen before as GM soy is replacing cattle in Argentina. And yet nothing is being done about it, absolutely nothing. The evidence is, is rife. I mean, it isn't just a couple of rat studies we're talking about here. We're talking about major information that implicates GMO food all over the planet in horrendous uh, conditions, diseases, and so forth. And a lot of it comes from the pesticide, not all of it. But there is one major aspect of GMO food where you 
say, oh, the pesticides we can spray as much as we want to because that's what these plants are genetically designed to resist. But, yeah, sure, it doesn't work in the plants very often. You'll find mistakes and screw-ups and so forth and super weeds that are resistant and take over the fields like they're doing in America. I mean, this is what's happening in America. Super weeds are taking over the fields, agriculture fields, and, and workers are getting sick. And people who are near are getting sick. And other people in the country are getting sick from eating the food. So the information is easily available, and yet we have now protection of Monsanto that goes above the law. Let's say that now last November, uh, California voters rejected Proposition 37, which would have required retailers and food companies to label products with genetically modified organisms in them. And, but, but we know, of course, that the, the GMO industry spent, I don't know, something like $50 million dollars uh, to, to kill that, companies like Coca-Cola and others got on board and, and um, launched this massive campaign uh, to kill Proposition 37. But let's say some state passes a similar proposition and the people speak and they, they demand that the food labels include GMO ingredients on them. What happens in this case? Well, Monsanto is prepared for that. They don't want it. But they're ready to deal with it if they need to, because they're already dealing with it in England. So they will come out in support of labeling. That's what they'll do. They'll, they'll do a switcheroonie, and they'll say, look, we don't think there's any reason for labeling, but the people have spoken, and that's just fine. And then they'll take their millions and millions of dollars and go on gigantic propaganda and PR campaigns to convince the American people that they don't have to worry about GMO food. And yes, it's labeled, and you have a choice, and that's wonderful, but who cares? And so what they hope to do is wear down the opposition so that when people go into supermarkets to buy food in America, they'll just say, well, yeah, okay, so this is GMO, who cares? I like it, I'll buy it, I'll eat it. I guess what I was asking was with this Protection Act, whether they even have to, whether they could just simply ignore, the, uh, you know, a state proposition that demands they label their, their, their you know, Well, food. no, they won't be able to do that they because can't. the... The Protection Act isn't about labeling. It's about whether or not uh, certain new crops can be grown, harvested, and sold. And so that will go on regardless. That will continue no matter what's labeled. You know. And eventually, I mean, Monsanto's long-range plan is to corner the market so completely that it'll be a fait accompli. It really won't make any difference because so much of what Americans eat will be GMO that those people who hold out for certified organic, for example, will only constitute, uh, you know, a, a manageable part of the market. That would be how Monsanto would look at it. Uh, dark days uh, for democracy, I guess, for those of us naive enough to think we're still living under one. But uh, <laughs> oh, Yeah, right. John, tell us, tell us about your latest CD ROM, CD-ROM project, uh, Exit the Matrix. Yes, well, I put together Exit from the Matrix after I put together another mega collection called The Matrix Revealed. And this new one contains uh, 29 audio seminars. About 10 of them are brand new, and the rest are seminars I've done before. 123 audio files and text. I mean, it's gigantic. And the whole purpose of this is 
to explore and give very practical exercises and techniques to people for expanding their creative power to a point where those factors that make up the matrix that keep people trapped in the labyrinth and the maze are no longer operative, that people have returned to themselves such a degree of power that they are literally operating outside the matrix. That was the purpose. That's been the the core of my research over the last 25 years, and finally, it's the product is here. Sounds like deprogramming someone who's been rescued from a cult. Yeah, it's kind of like that, because the matrix, in all of its uh, horrendous, perverse glory, is basically a cult. And how do we get a hold of uh, Exit the Matrix? Uh, People can just go to my website, uh, www.nomorefakenews.com, and they'll see the graphics there and the descriptions of the products completely, and they can order them right there. What are you working on next, John? I know you've always got something on the go. Well, it looks like what I may be doing is a, a new logic and analysis course completely on audio for adults, which would be extensive information from my experience as a reporter and investigator. How do you deal logically with the flood of information that we are uh, overrun by these days? How do you evaluate and judge real-world information? How do you stop from getting sucked into one thing or another that is half truth, no truth, uh, you know, and for this I found that classical logic is applicable to a certain point, but after that you're really in open water, because that's been my experience as a reporter, and so everything I've done for the past 30 years will be in this product in terms of how I've come to see what information in the modern age is all about, and What are the traps? How do you avoid them? How do you make evaluations on what's good information and what isn't? And that will probably be my next project. All right. Well, sounds like uh, you and I should get together and uh, talk about that at length on this show. John, always a pleasure. Thank you. Always a pleasure, Richard. Thanks for having me. John Rappaport, No More Fake News. I've linked up to his site on mine, richardserrett.com.
From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Hey, friends. Welcome. Welcome aboard. I, uh, I just want to give you a quick heads up what's coming up in the, uh, in the future on the program. Next week... Joseph Farrell. I'm really delighted to have Joseph back. He's uh, he's a hard guy to pin down because he's always writing a book. He's one of my favorites. Uh, you may remember uh, him from uh, uh, the uh, the Nazi Bell and the Giza Death Star uh, and uh, uh, Cosmic Wars. Anyway, he's uh, just finished another book, and we'll, we're going to have him back on. That's next week. Joseph Farrell. Uh, he'll be on in the uh, the first hour of the program, and uh, of course, uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, of course, our uh, our paranormal investigator, our regular contributor, will be here with us, and an interesting fellow uh, from the UK, Colin Hall, uh, has just finished a book about something called the M6 crashes, the, 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 a series of strange paranormal events that happened on the M6 in the United Kingdom. That's one of their major motor routes. And it also they also happened in Paris. He's got a new book out called Fact or Fiction, The M6 or Paris Crashes. And also coming up uh, later, Ron Patton from Paranoid Magazine. He'll be with us in a couple of weeks. He was uh, supposed to join us a couple of weeks ago, had a bit of a family emergency. We've rescheduled him. Ron Patton, Paranoid Magazine, a great magazine. I know uh, many of you probably uh, subscribe or, or read that. And Patty Greer. We'll be along to talk about uh, crop circles. Uh, I met uh, Patty a couple of weeks ago. My gosh, it's longer than that now. Last month in in uh, Phoenix at the big UFO conference, and uh, she's made a number of uh, mind-blowing documentaries about crop circles. Uh, she'll be here to talk about that. And that will be uh, in, in two weeks. That'll be our, our first show at our new facility when the conspiracy show moves down the road here in uh, Toronto, down Lake Shore. Uh, west towards the CNE grounds. Just north of there is a is a, an area of uh, Toronto called Liberty Village. And uh, uh, Zoomer Media is, uh, they're moving the radio division over there. I took a tour of the facility. It's wonderful, but I'm going to miss this place. Um, but anyway, in, in a couple of weeks, I'll be coming to you live for the very first time uh, from Zoomerplex. That's what they're calling it, right, Tim? Zoomerplex. All right. I was just reading Dave Hodges has um, a blog, I guess. It's called Freeing America, One One Enslaved Mind at a Time. He's talking about the three stages of a revolution. Hard to imagine, but things are getting so dire. People are actually starting to talk about, you know, uh, revolution. Not to, uh, you know, not to promote violence of any sort. Although when you look at the situation in Europe, especially what happened in Cyprus a few weeks ago, when the banks essentially (laughs) stole depositors' money, and it makes you think, how much can people take before someone just, you know, how long can you, can you go before you, you can no longer blame people for taking this thing to the streets and fighting back? Hard to imagine. I mean, is that possible that that could come to America, that mindset, revolution to North America? Well, you know, these are dark days. But here's the interesting thing that uh, Dave Hodges points out in his blog on the three stages of revolution. He talks about... He says, you may not realize this fact, but your government certainly does. When the Department of Homeland Security purchases 2.2 billion, that's with a a B, 2.2 billion rounds of ammunition and 2,700 armored vehicles 
why would the Department of Homeland Security be purchasing 2.2 billion rounds of ammunition, 27 armored vehicles, if they didn't intend on using those against U.S. citizens? Just, just throwing that out there. Dark days indeed. One individual who writes about these interesting times we live in, that's a, you know, a, a, a Chinese proverb, right? It's kind of a curse. They say, may you live in interesting times, which is kind of a, a backhanded way of saying, I wish you great trouble. Well, looks like the trouble is upon us. But um, Dina Ray is a new author. She's a former teacher, which is kind of interesting because uh, although she writes works of fiction, these works of fiction are really informed by the headlines and what's going on around us. And so she, as a former teacher, she brings kind of an academic element to uh, these works, and they're heavily researched. So while they're technically works of fiction, it's kind of a wink-wink, nudge-nudge type of thing. Anyway, she writes about Freemasonry and end times prophecy and mind control. To date, she's written three books, The Last Degree, Halo of the Damned, and Bad Juju, which uh, is about uh, you know voodoo in Haitian culture. Her fourth novel which will be published later this, uh, well, just later this spring, is entitled Halo of the Nephilim. Of course, we've talked a lot about the Nephilim on this program, and we're going to do the same thing tonight. Dina Ray, great pleasure to welcome you to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Oh, gosh, I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. Great show. As a writer, I mean, obviously nobody wishes bad times on anybody, uh, but we're currently in the midst of them. I mean, this is great fodder, though, for a writer, isn't it? Uh, yes, you got that right. It's um, truth is um, much more interesting than anybody's imagination could be. I know that you're a Christian. Um, yes. How much does that inform your writing? I know, I know that you, you are, um, you're you know really into end times prophecy and so forth. But how much how much of that comes out in your writing? Well, quite a bit. With the last degree. It is a uh, ode to conspiracy buffs. Make no mistake about it. But it also aligns up with um, the Revelation and Daniel in the Bible, uh, how the Antichrist will come about in the future and um, so forth. So, and then uh, my other uh, my angel books, uh, although those are horror books and they're you know they're rated R, they got plenty of violence and sex and all that, but there there's still an underlying theme of scripture in, in it. So it does def, it definitely affects my writing. When you look at the headlines, and actually some of these things you don't find in the headlines because as I was discussing. Uh, uh, recently with Gerald Salenti, who was on the program, a lot of these things aren't being covered in the mainstream press. They, it's like they want to keep a lid on, on what's really going on in terms of how dire the economy is and how the government is propping up this Ponzi scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I mean, do, when you look at the news, wherever you find it, do you see it lining up, the events, whether it's oh. the problems in the Middle East or the, the economy, uh, you know, rumors of war, North Korea, saber-rattling, do you see this lining up with Revelation? Oh, my gosh, yes. I, I, well, um, just uh, two days ago, um, Joe Biden was giving a speech about New World Order to the Import-Export Bank. So these um, high-ups who are part of the elite, part of the, you know, um, 
the shadow government, they are getting more and more brazen about announcing this whole new world order thing. So, um, yeah, it's 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 easy to connect the dots uh, into end of times prophecy. There's uh, it's there's just too many coincidences that line up with the Bible, both Old and New Testaments. Testaments. So. Um, are, you, are you frightened? Uh, are you frightened with what's going on? Uh, I am. I am to a degree. I'm not going to go buy an underground bunker and you know spend every last cent that I have on um, weapons and you know MRE food and that kind of thing. But uh, I am. I am. You know, that whole seed has been planted to you know it, at the very least get a survival kit and have a plan, that kind of thing. Which is prudent for anybody at any time. Just, you know, if there's a 72-hour, you know, power disruption, it's good to have, you know, uh, fresh water, a hand-cranked radio, uh, you know, some food stores and so forth. I mean, even in good times, that's a good idea to have. Right. So, you're, I mean, what do you think about this whole prepper movement? I mean, a lot of that was highlighted uh, towards the tail end of 2012 because of the Mayan calendar thing. But, of course, these end-time scenarios never go away. Uh, and, and now we have, you know, good reason to be concerned. Uh, but what do you make of this, this, this movement, this prepper movement? I mean, there's a whole TV show now, a series on the National Geographic Channel dedicated to it. There's, there's two of them. There's Doomsday Preppers and Doomsday Bunkers. So you had twice the fun. Um, I think it's um, a growing movement with, uh, I mean, everybody has their reasons. Some people think it's going to be a natural catastrophe. Some people, it's a religious thing. Uh, some people just want to live off the grid. They have had it with the government, and uh, they, you know, they want their privacy and so forth. It's it's kind of um, an, a modern-day version of what was going on in the 70s with uh, survivalism. And uh, I, on Twitter, be, because it's, you know, we're living in uh, modern day, the uh, proper, preppers uh, have quite the movement going on Twitter and Facebook and Pinterest and... Um, Shortwave radio? Really, Shortwave radio? Yeah. They really uh, make the most of social media to their benefit. Listen, I, I mean, I, I think a healthy distrust of the, of the government is, is mandatory, and you certainly have that in the United States. And I, I sometimes um, I'm, you know, saddened to the extent that we, we tend to trust authority uh, up here in Canada. I mean, we go overboard, we bend over backwards to, to give them the benefit of the doubt. We think the government is here to help. And, uh, but in the United States, there is that healthy mistrust. But I'm wondering whether, though, it's getting to a point where um, you know that there's there's a genuine anger, mm-hmm. and it 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 it, it may be uh, sort of may have found a, a real home within this prepper movement. Some call them the patriots and so forth. Do you fear that these preppers may get sort of tarred with the same brush and considered almost like domestic terrorists? Oh, absolutely. They're already portrayed as crazies on these TV shows. I mean, they take the most extreme um, cases that there are. And, uh, you know, if, if you go on Twitter during the show, there's plenty of people watching the show laughing at these, at these people, which, um, you know, I, I'm not 
condoning some of these, you know, selling your house and, you know, taking out um, a loan and all of this other stuff to, to go buy your, you know, acreage in the Smoky Mountains or whatever. But um, there is something to be said about it. And it, there's just a growing distrust about the government. I, I know on your show, you've mentioned already uh, this whole Cyprus banking thing. I, I mean, preppers are so distrustful of the government, so distrustful of banks. I think banks and the government are pretty much the same thing these days, that uh, gold and silver are just, you know, that's part of a prepping staple. That's what you use for money. And um, Well, I know Homeland Security, Department of Homeland Security, their definition of a domestic terrorist is so vague that, I mean, you could read into that, that, that anyone who decides to get off the grid, anyone who, de- who has substantial holdings in precious metals, they could be mm-hmm. considered... A domestic terrorist. We'll uh, we'll come back and discuss more with Dina Ray, author, educator, here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Delighted to have Dina Ray with us, a new author. Uh, She's written, well, hardly new. She's written three books, The Last Degree, Halo of the Damned, Bad Juju, and her fourth uh, to be released, I believe, in May of this year is Halo of the Nephilim. Uh, Dina, the... um, the Department of Homeland Security. Now, it's rumored that they have uh, are amassing this huge arsenal, something like 2.2 billion uh, bullets right. they've purchased. I mean, people are going to uh, to you know to gun stores and, and places and finding it hard to find bullets, and it turns out it's because Homeland Security is buying them all. What's behind that? Well, uh, it's it's not just um, Homeland Security uh, Department. Um of Social Security Administration has bought uh, 174,000 rounds, and um, NOAA, which is in charge of the the fisheries, have bought about 50,000 rounds. And both those agencies aren't really known for um, artillery. Now, everyone's got their theories. Um, My theory it, which, of course, goes along with the conspiracy theory. I mean, some people believe that um, some politicians owe the um, the bullet factories um, some business, and other people think, oh, well, they're, they're um, just doing that. They're buying all of these rounds so that the average American can't... Um, there won't be any left for the average gunman to buy. Right. Yeah, that's a good way of getting around. I mean, if you can't push through the kind of strict gun control legislation you want, then just take the bullets away from people. Right. But now I I think it, it's much more nefarious than that. I think that they're doing this because they know that pretty soon our country is going to be like a Cyprus, and they're gearing up for it. And, I mean... Uh, Social Security, when the old retiree goes to cash his check from Social Security and there's no money in there, um, you know, there's a lot of old people in this country who have tons of guns. I mean, they're with no paperwork because back in the 50s or whatever at the gun shows, they didn't have to fill out um, one single form. You could just buy a gun cash and 
they don't know how many people ha- who have guns, especially people over 60 years old in this country. So That may be the only thing that prevented uh, the United States from pulling a Cypress, giving their depositors a haircut, as they like to call it, in the first place. Maybe they wanted to do it already, but they couldn't because, again, they know uh, that the, you know, there's, a, a, hundred, there's an, a standing army of 100 million armed civilians. Right. It, and I, I read that outside of um, Homeland Security and then the, um, the police forces, that the third highest concentration of guns and ammo is in the state of Wisconsin. With the civilians, you mean? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you think of all the deer hunters out there. Every state, they've got, you know, millions of, of, of people that just go out and, and hunt and, and think of... I read once, and, and I don't know if you've heard this, and I don't know if it's true, it could be apocryphal, but I've heard that they uncovered documents uh, after the Second World War. They discovered that, that Japan was actually thinking about a, a land invasion in the United States. Uh, I mean, of course, we know that they attacked Pearl Harbor in 1941, but they were thinking about a land invasion, and they decided against it because they suddenly became aware that the civilians are armed to the teeth and they would be facing this huge standing army. <laughs> That's the only thing I, that prevented a land invasion. I haven't heard that, but that that makes a lot of sense. I want to uh, uh, bring this around to uh, you know the, the, the current economic uh, situation, the deteriorating uh, state of even just civility around the world. I mean, I, I agree, Dina. I think we're going to see great social unrest in the United States uh, when all of these unfunded liabilities, when the government basically says we can't pay out pensions, we can't pay Social Security, we are broke. Uh, you know, we've already got, I don't know how many uh, millions of Americans, 50 million on food stamps, it's something like yeah. or one in, one in seven now on food stamps. Uh, eventually, you know, people are going to take to the streets. But how does this play into the New World Order? Are, uh, do you believe that... that who's ever sort of running the show, the shadow government, this is deliberate. They're, they're, the, 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 um, the end game here is to, is to wreck the economy, destroy the nation state? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, wrecking the, I mean, Europe now, United States and, you know, the third world countries never really um, got off their feet. Um, I don't know how things are in Canada. They must be pretty good. You guys aren't on the news all the time. Um, but what better way to give out, to wipe out all of the economies and then say, you know what, we're going to just put a current, um, use one currency because we're globalized now, and um, the United States and Europe and Russia and you know the Middle East. We'll all just trade on the same currency, and that'll balance everything out. I mean, that would be like step one. And um, how easy would that be? Because we are more globalized, and there is all of this, you know, um, everybody is right now buying in U.S. dollars, but then, you know, I've read that there's um, under under the cover kind of operations with the Middle East and Russia, and they're kind of doing their own thing. And so... The currency is going to get to be too much of a headache for everyone to have separate currency. So why don't we just why don't we just wipe it out? And I, you were talking about the food stamps. I, I just wanted to throw in there real quick. 
I know this is um, getting off topic, but they're advertising on radio shows or, or on music radio shows for people to come in and get food stamps. So here we are, a country that's completely broke, and the government is um, paying advertising money to various uh, music radio stations, imploring and um, enticing people to go get on food stamps. And it's not that hard, and you don't have to be broke. And, and uh, it, I don't know what's going on, but that it just seems like they're encouraging all of this. And, and I know I'm, I'm on a soapbox right now, but another thing they're encouraging was just on the news today. Uh, they, I mean, one of the biggest problems we had in this country was this whole mortgage debacle. Well, guess what? They're back to their old tricks, and they're giving people who don't qualify for loans mortgages again. Right. I mean, they're doubling down on those old policies they created, supposedly, you know, the panic of, of 08, uh, and they're just creating that same bubble all over again, except now it's to the tune of $85, trillion or $85 billion a month, this quantitative easing uh, nonsense, where they're essentially buying bad mortgages. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, I, I don't know how much longer they can keep this Ponzi scheme uh, afloat. I just, my, my, I dread, you know, that this is not going to end well, uh, Adina. Let's talk a moment about uh, your, your, your upcoming book, Halo of the Nephilim. We talk a lot about uh, fallen angels on this program, you know, going back to the book of Enoch and even in the account in Genesis where these fallen uh, angels, um, you know, uh, basically had uh, relations with the daughters of men and created these race of giants and so forth. But uh, tell me a little bit about uh, how you come, how you approach this subject of these, uh, of the Nephilim in your, in your upcoming book. Well, um, Halo of the Nephilim is a sequel to Halo of the Damned. And it starts with a modern day angel who walks the earth. And um, even though this is fantasy, even though this is fiction, this is all pulled from the Genesis, like you mentioned, Enoch, Jubilees, Jasher. Um, the, the, um, there's other books about Adam and Eve. They're um, mixed in there, too. And um, like you mentioned, the, um, these fallen angels, the, the, the ones that fell voluntarily, they met up on Mount Hermon in Israel, and they made a pact to wed and bed human women. And Supposedly, they just couldn't resist them. Um, you know, there's other theories that they wanted they they were wanted really um, to mess up God's plan and God's line to Jesus. Yeah, contaminate the gene pool and forestall the the, the coming of the the Messiah. Right, but um, well, there's two different stories to that, and um, these offspring, these Nephilim. Um, had kids of their own and so forth and so forth. And um, you've got the Anunnaki who are linked with aliens. They're, they're derived from these Nephilim. And you've got the Emanine and the Rephaim. And, um, you know, a lot of these groups were, were not just giant. They were born with six fingers and six toes. And um, I think Marvel Comics calls them the Gibberim. Um, and I just, I, I didn't know any of this until, oh, maybe a couple of years ago, I caught something, um, on the radio about it. And it just, you know, I got 
fascinated by it. I never heard this story before. This isn't the kind of thing the minister talks about on Sunday. And um, I kept digging and digging and digging, and it got more and more fascinating. It sounds like you know quite a bit about them. And um, like uh, Adam and Eve, supposedly Cain was the first Nephilim because Satan raped Eve, and um, she had, as a result, had Cain. So Cain was um, technically the first Nephilim, and um, the word cannibalism comes from Cain, which I found real interesting. That is interesting, yes, yes. And of course, well, in in the Bible uh, accounts, uh, uh, when... um, when uh, Joshua, who was sort of Moses' appointed guy yeah. to take the people into the Promised Land because he wasn't allowed to cross the Jordan River, uh, you know, Joshua and others, they sent spies into to Canaan and they discovered races of giants. I mean, whole cities mm-hmm. populated by giants. And it was interesting, I, I was um, in the New York Times uh, archives going through some old stories from the, from the, uh, the late 1800s, early 1900s uh, about these... Um, huge burial mounds that were discovered in places like Wisconsin and Ohio. And in these burial mounds, they found what can only be described as giants. I mean, uh, dozens and dozens of intact skeletal remains of people that were seven and a half, eight, eight and a half, nine feet tall. I mean, that's in the New York Times, folks. I mean, I don't know what else to make of that. But were these the descendants of the Nephilim? Uh, Well, that's what most people seem to... The, um, these experts in the field seem to think, and it's not just Wisconsin. It, it's all over the world. They've they've been finding more and more of these skeletons, and I don't know why, but the church doesn't want to talk about it, and then science doesn't want to talk about it either. So, because um, I guess it, on one hand it proves that the Bible it wasn't lying, and then on the other hand, it's a subject that religious figures don't feel comfortable talking about. So there was obviously proof that we had giants back thousands of years ago. And, um, you know, my, my contention is, were they, did you have to be a giant to be a Nephilim? Or could you, could um, a different kind of angel who didn't carry that giant gene pass on a different gene to their offspring? Like maybe just the six fingers or... Uh, maybe some kind of superpowers, or um, and the the book goes goes from there, and um, I, it was a fascinating um, study to read about um, all all of this angel lore. There's um, so much. There's there's um, my character's name is Armoros, and he was one of the fallen. Um, his 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 um, thing was. He was called Armoros the Cursed, and then there was um, another angel, Azazel, and um, he got tied up on a, a rock for eternity for showing man how to make weapons. And then there was another fallen angel called Semijaza, and he's the one who kind of organized this whole let's get all the women pregnant thing. And um, it just it makes it ties in really well as, with. Um, your ancient alien believers too, because how do we know so many things? It's it's almost like some kind of higher intelligence being 
would have had to come down thousands of years ago and shown man how to, um, you know, how to heat up iron and how to plant seeds. And how would you just kind of guess at that that stuff? It um, yeah, it's I, it's um, like uh, you know uh, gets back into sort of the Zechariah Sitchin um, thing with the Anunnaki and and the, the this this Sumerian culture five thousand years ago where where everyone else in the world was you know just climbing out of the trees and living in mud huts and then you had this incredibly sophisticated uh, civilization where they had uh, libraries and and uh, uh, you know they domesticated yeah. animals and 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 and, and uh, crops you know uh, hundreds of years or thousands of years before anywhere else and then they have their creation story which involves these shiny how do they describe them the shiny feathered serpents which sounds a lot like that cat in the uh, the garden back in the genesis account anyway we'll come back dina ray is with us here on the conspiracy show stay with us Dina Ray is with us, author, former teacher, who brings an academic element to her heavily researched novels. I say novels in quotes, although they are works of fiction. They are, uh, well, they're fictionalized versions of of really what she believes is going on in the world today. Uh, End times uh, prophecy, uh, Freemasonry, the New World Order, the Nephilim, um, even mind control. And we'll get into mind control in a minute, but back to uh, the Nephilim. And uh, do you believe then that um, uh, these fallen angels are still exerting? I mean, as a Christian, I, I mean, I know the answer. Uh, you know, we believe that earth, the earth, you know the world is basically being run. We know who's running the show here. It's Satan, right? But uh, to what extent uh, do you believe these fallen angels are in control? Are they the ones ultimately at the the top of the pyramid when we're talking about the new world order? Well. I've, uh, I do believe that maybe not like Nephilim or fallen angels, but the descendants of this Nephilim are running things. And, um, some, some might call them descendants of Nephilim. Others might call them Illuminati. They, but, um, they're all from Cain's bloodlines and, um, they all, even though they have free will and they they don't have to go that route, it's it's in their nature to um, do the devil's work. And um, yes, I do believe that they are running the show. So does that mean that some of the people in power today, uh, and I don't want to name any names, but uh, some of the world leaders, whether we're talking about the heads of royal families, whether we're talking about presidents, prime ministers are, in a, sec, in, in a sense, um, descendants, or have, have Nephilim blood coursing through their veins, as, I, I guess is what I'm asking. Uh, oh, definitely. Now, your presidents and your prime ministers um, are too easy of a, a call-out. I think that the, the real power is much more hidden, uh, like, your, um, like your George Soros or your, your William Buffett or... Um, your Bill Gates or um, uh, Eric Schmidt of uh, Google, uh, these are uh, more threatening than, um, or uh, like your your former guest was talking about, Monsanto. Um, these, um, your Geithner, your, your behind-the-scenes um, people, I think, are the the puppet masters and your presidents and your prime ministers are the puppets. Is it possible they don't even know 
that who they are? I mean, their their real identity is are they just they they believe that they're acting in their own self interest or they're being a good business people? Is it possible they don't understand that you know yeah. their role in this? I mean, we're all I, fallen, right? I mean, according to the Bible, we're all fallen. I mean, so don't we all have that yeah. element in us? I agree with you. They, you're right. They might not know, but they keep. So I think at some point you 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 got to question. You know, well, I I didn't campaign for this, and I didn't campaign for this, and I didn't campaign for this, and I'm I'm just selling my soul to um, you know keep my power. You kind of got to question yourself, like, what am I doing? And when you got to be responsible for your actions at some point. And uh, I'm not seeing that uh, these days. Let's go to the phones, and we're going to say hello to Dallas, not Dallas, Texas, but Dallas in Kamloops, British Columbia, who wants to talk about Agenda 21. Hey, Dallas, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Having a little trouble hearing you, Dallas. Just wondering. There you are. You, know, you said that um, the government was exposing NWO more, so that people are finally realizing about it. So I was just wondering what you thought about Agenda 21, because basically it's the same thing, and I've, they've been running ads about Agenda 21. So what are your thoughts on that? United Nations Agenda 21, where the, the for yeah. those not in the know, the United Nations has uh, laid out their their blueprint for the 21st century. It's supposed to be voluntary, but uh, I don't know, 136 countries have signed on to this, and it's they just it seems like they want to uh, control in uh, control everything, every aspect of of, of human endeavor, uh, uh, inventory everything, herd everybody into large cities. They call it smart growth and sustainable development. But a lot of people think there's something more sinister going on here. What do you think, Dina? Well, I'm I'm not that familiar with it. So, from what you're telling me, it it sounds like perfect blueprint for new world order. It's you know the political side of things. You know, you you take the political side. You got that. You've got um, the food side with with Monsanto in Europe. They call it Codex Alimentarius. You've um, got the social side where you know you're just wrecking families and you're wrecking economy. It's all. It's all the same road going to the same same uh, place, New World Order. I see where the, the state of Oklahoma recently passed a bill banning Agenda 21. I don't know exactly uh, how that will work out. But, Dallas, are you seeing any – I mean, the interesting thing about Agenda 21, it's like a chameleon because it goes by many different names. It's not mm-hmm. necessarily going by Agenda 21. Your local city council, for example, might have an Agenda 21 initiative, but they may call it – I don't know, B.C. 21st century or something like that. Have you seen any evidence that Agenda 21 is is at work in British Columbia? In B.C.? Um, I think I have, because I've seen, I know in the 50s and stuff, they had propaganda ads against Russia and such. Right. And I've seen ads like, oh, B.C. is doing so great, it's the leader in financial resources. And it's like, none of it seems very real, because I know how bad B.C. is doing, like, compared to other provinces and even to other countries. And so I think they are kind of starting not to tell people about Agenda 21, but I think they're starting to kind of warm people to the idea, if you know what I mean. Right. It's the the frog in the pot of boiling water. You put a frog in a nice, Mm. cool bath, uh, and then you put it on the stove, and then you gradually turn up the heat, and uh, we're the frogs, of course, in this scenario, and before you know it, we're in boiling water. We boil to death, but we don't even, we're not even able to, to perceive that the temperature is rising because it's mm. gradual. 
the forces of gradualism. That's their their biggest uh, tool. Uh, it's because it's imperceptible, bit by bit, slowly, baby steps. And before you know it, you know. Right, like Hitler. There you go, exactly. Dallas and Kamloops. How are you listening to the show, Dallas? Um, I was listening to it through a radio program on just on my computer. Excellent. Okay, good yeah. to have you aboard. Hope you'll join us again. Dina, hold on. Back with Thanks. more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Author Dina Ray is here, and we're talking about the New World Order, the Nephilim, the end of days, just kicking the can around and talking about what we talk about here on The Conspiracy Show. And, of course, you're welcome to join the conversation, and the phone lines are available uh, to you. Now, Dina, uh, we, we've been talking about your upcoming book, Halo of the Nephilim, uh, and as you say, that's a, a sequel to uh, Halo of the Damned. Now, in Halo of the Damned, you're, you're, you're actually, I think, talking about there is a... I don't know, a sect or a cult that actually uh, worships these fallen angels. Is it, isn't that the sort of the subject of that book? Is, um, that's a real religion. It's called the Yazidi religion, and they're one of the, the most ancient religions in the world. They, they're still, uh, they still are organized in northern Iraq, and um, they believe in... All angels, both fallen and non-fallen, and they they worship angels with birds, and they don't have a holy book, but they pray directly to angels, and their favorite angel is represented as a peacock, and his name is Malak Tawas, which is um, what Western us Westerners call Satan. So they're so, primarily worshiping the fallen angels. They acknowledge, obviously, the existence of the good angels and the fallen angels, but they're basically throwing their lot in with the fallen angels, is what you're saying. Right. So this religion... Now, if I'm not mistaken, doesn't the Yazidi religion, isn't that a branch of the Zoroastrians, which was... Uh, the, I remember the Shah of Iran, probably the, the late Shah of, of Iran, was probably one of the most high-profile... Uh, followers of uh, Zoroastrianism. Is, is it a branch of that uh, religion? Well, when I researched it, uh, they never came up, but ah. I'm not, I, you know, I, for, per my research, I, I never saw that, but it it could be. I mean, there's some, some similarities. Uh, I, the the um, Yazidi religion, I don't I don't know how old you are, but um, back in the 90s, I was in college, and um, they had the the golf war, the showdown in the golf, and it was on twenty four hour news. And um, there was this this news blurb where Saddam Hussein, when he was killing all the Kurds, he um, said, "Well, what difference does it make? They're all a bunch of devil worshippers anyway." And that kind of stuck in my head for later on, and um, it just kind of fascinated me how that even though i mean i mean don't get me wrong genocide is genocide and what he was doing was terrible but nonetheless um they shut him up right away they they um got rid of that whole story and um i i just found that that fascinating because some kurds uh, some kurds are are uh, followers of this yazidi religion you're saying right and um, supposedly, it has spread across the Mediterranean, and some um, elite Europeans um, practice practice it too. 
And and so are they are they uh, obviously then awaiting the rise of the Antichrist and the coming of the tribulation and so forth. Well, that of course they don't have a book, and um, my research was basically interviews and newscasters and um, servicemen who um, have have met them in uh, Iraq. So I I can't say that with um, a surety, but I can say. That's what it seems like. I mean, if you're worshiping Satan and you're praying to Satan and his fallen angels, I don't know what else that could mean. How far do you think we are from, you know, uh, Jacob's troubles, as they call it in the Bible, or, or the tribulation? In other words, uh, where the Antichrist will make his, his presence known on this earth and uh, then begins, uh, you know, the, the, the false peace, uh, followed by all hell breaking loose, basically. Well, um... A, what, a couple weeks ago, we've got the 112th Pope, who, uh, according to Malachi, who's been, who has a batting average of a hundred or a thousand percent batting average right now, um, he's never been wrong. According to Malachi, this 112th Pope is going to be the sidekick to the Beast or um, Satan incarnate. Uh, otherwise known as the false prophet. So, you know, we've got that going on. We've got um, things in the Middle East, I guess, have been a disaster for years. But that's heating up. Um, Now everyone's getting their own nuclear missiles. So that could be, you know... Wars and rumors of war. Right. So I just feel like we're on the, the cuspus of... Um, the end. Another interesting uh, theme that sort of weaves its way in, into your work is this whole idea of, of mind control. Uh, and I've, I've talked to a lot of, uh, of, of people who, you know, claim that they are victims of, of some sort of mind control, whether they are being electronically harassed, uh, or whether they are being chipped, uh, these sorts of things. But th- there's another form of mind control that's far more subtle, and I know that you, you, you write about this, and that's the, the mind control that comes through uh, the television set. How does that figure into, into your work, mind control? Well, I concentrate in both of my books on the kind of mind control that the advertising world uses. And um, like you said, it is, it is more subtle. It's not like an Agent Orange type of thing. Um, one of the things I, I came across was this um, device called the tachistoscope that was um, invented in the 50s, and it basically shows, um, fla- it flashes images or words that you your subconscious doesn't even see. So let's, for example, say you were watching um, I Love Lucy. Well, you might have seen about 20 flashes of, you know, buy this laundry detergent or buy this... um, Yeah, subliminal subliminal advertising. Yeah, Right, and you don't even know it. And this was what they were using in the 1950s, so I can only imagine what they have now. And um, I know... Um, just magazine ads are, are famous for this. Um, like the the absolute vodka was um, next to a tall glass of ice, and the ice spelled out sex. 
um, that was a famous ad a few years back, and um, another uh, a new kind of advertising that they're using more and more and more is the scent branding or ambient scenting is another term. They've um, discovered that the olfactory bulb is um, more powerful than our vision, and um, certain businesses like uh, Abercrombie and Fitch use it in their stores, um, and you smell the smell, and you immediately recognize the store and sure um, sure i mean I, I can understand why why advertisers would want to do that why you know uh, uh retailers and so forth would want to employ these methods to make you buy their products you go back to the 50s and every third frame of a movie might contain you know up in the right hand corner of the screen a a popped kernel of corn so that during the uh the intermission they used to have intermissions people may not may not remember that at the theater but you'd go out and buy your your popcorn i can understand that but so what is is there something more nefarious afoot here what's the end game i mean take it away from the advertisers and into i mean i, I look at I look at CNN, for example, as a form of mind control. You've got hell breaking loose all over the world, and yet all we see on CNN, uh, they're, they're talking about these high-profile murder cases and giving them, like, 24-hour coverage and talking about every juror and who is, what juror was dismissed today and, you know, hook an entire show on that. Who cares? The world is unraveling at an alarming rate. Talk to me about the more sort of nefarious forms of, of, of mind control and brainwashing we're seeing. Well, the media is famous for this whole mind control. I know every time we get um, a little bit of what's really going on, you know, there's there's three subjects that they seem to um, bring up, and it's, you know, um, abortion, gay marriage, and racism. And it seems whenever we've got a real story about to unfold, bring up any of those three things, and then everyone forgets about, you know, the real story, the Cypress story, or, you know, the sequester, or the, um, the um, you know, the uh, arms race, or, you know, anything real is completely wiped away if you just talk about one of those three things. And I just get, you know, I get frustrated. Um yeah, it's like they're administering anesthesia through the TV set. I mean, I, 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 abortion and those other things are very important issues, but it's sometimes I find it even more sort of uh, the topics innocuous than that. It's 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 yeah. things like you know who's Katy Perry dating or uh, <laughs> <laughs> or Kim Kardashian, and uh, I mean that's an advertisement. I mean, talk about an advertisement. That whole woman's an advertisement. What who's shoes are is she wearing what whose uh dress is she wearing you know whose jewelry is she wearing she was um just speaking of her she was just wearing one of those baphomet braces that it's us all over the internet that um you know that goat that um is connected with the devil i, I wasn't uh, familiar with that yeah she's she's um wearing it um i think yesterday and uh i kind of an odd jewelry jewelry choice. Well, maybe she's uh, a devotee of uh, Yezidism, uh, this cult that, <laughs> fall, that worships the fallen angels. Uh, who knows? Uh, <laughs> Dina, a real pleasure uh, speaking with you. Now, uh, the Halo of the Nephilim uh, published, I guess, next month. Is that right? In May of this year? May 1st, yes. 
and uh, how do f- people get a, a hold of, of that book uh, and your other three books, uh, Halo of the Dam, The Last Degree, and Bad Juju? Well, the Halo series is available all over the Internet. It's, um, you know, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Books A Million, iTunes. That, um, that one's all over. And then the other two, The Last Degree and Bad Juju, are Amazon only. And um, Bad Juju's on sale now for $0.99. Cents. And I'm also having a raffle uh, for Halo of the Damned. It's all peacock-themed items. On my website, which is Dina Ray, D I N A R A E dot co, C O. We didn't talk about bad juju, uh, which is about, uh, you know, voodoo and, and resurrecting zombies, which of course will be of great interest to our listeners because, of course, uh, it's got to be, you know, I mean, everyone has just uh, gone, gone goo goo over zombies, the zombie apocalypse, and of course, The Walking Dead is probably the runaway hit the last two or three years or two or three seasons. Uh, just give us a, a quick glimpse into that book before we say goodnight. I'd love to. That um, Bad Juju is about voodoo specifically in Haiti, and it um, talks about possession and um, um, zombie, uh, how to raise a zombie, specifically what they they use. It talks about love spells, revenge spells. All of it is from research. I didn't make up any of this. It talks about the the loas that they um, pray to and um, their um, ceremonies that they hold. Um, it's very uh, very well researched, and it, you know, it's um, anybody could follow it. It's an easy read about two t- teenage boys who mess around with voodoo and things don't go that well. But I I did a lot of research with this. I read um, Serpent in the Rainbow. I watched. Um, a zillion YouTube videos. I um, read voodoo books from the library. Uh, it just well, if uh, things weren't bad enough, if things weren't bad enough, Dina, now we have the the, the possibility of a zombie apocalypse to deal with. Never mind a mm-hmm. run on the bank and and a sequestration. <laughs> anyway, listen, a great pleasure meeting you, Dina, and speaking with you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Dina Ray. All right, my thanks to Tim Spreen. Back next week with Joseph Farrell, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our regular contributor, and much more. Hope you'll be aboard. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm a-coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.